0: Since the summer we've been uh, doing a sermon series, we've been spending time sitting at Jesus' feet as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. Uh, Today we are concluding that series with Jesus' teaching about spiritual foundation. Uh, You could say that all of this sermon forms a spiritual foundation for Christian faith, and and this particular teaching we're going to look at this morning is kind of the root of it, For the Brethren in Christ Church, the the church that we belong to, the sermon has been the center of our belief and our understanding of how to live as Jesus' followers. And it uh, provides a lot of direction when we have questions and uh, it serves as a great guide to Christian life. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, all wisdom comes from you. You are the compass that guides us to salvation. On every journey, you are the voice that guides and supports us. In our hearts, you reign supreme. Your truth leads us along the paths of righteousness. Lord, please lead us today. Reveal yourself in your word and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a question as we get started this morning it's a serious question what is your life built on what is your life built on is it built on a rock solid foundation is it unshakable or is it built on things that don't have any eternal value is your faith solid and unshakable or are you on Shaky legs, ready to collapse at the first test or the smallest doubt that comes along. Because we all have tests and we all have doubts. Just because we have doubts doesn't mean our faith has collapsed. In fact, if you never have a doubt, I might have a few questions about your Christian faith because we should always be probing and exploring and comparing what we learn about God to the world around us. And giving it a look and seeing, okay, wait a minute, that doesn't really fit inside what I know of God and what I know of God's plan. It all comes down to your spiritual foundation. It all comes down to what your faith is built on. We're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about that. If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7? And we're going to look at the last part of Matthew chapter 7 beginning at verse 24, Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at the teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Well, Jesus' teaching, it didn't sound like anybody else. He didn't sound like the Pharisees. He didn't sound like the scribes by the, or the teachers of the law. I mean, they could quote Scripture all day long, but Jesus himself was the focus of Scripture, both the Old and the New Testaments. Ultimately, they are about Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees could talk all day long about following God, But Jesus was God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's no wonder his teaching had authority. I mean, Jesus was speaking directly for God because he was God, God the Son. He knew the source because he was the source. This morning, being the first day of Advent, we lit this first candle this morning, uh, what we traditionally call the prophet's candle because it represents the prophets and all the predictions that were made by these prophets down through generations, even hundreds of years before Jesus was born. The prophets predicted a coming Savior, God's anointed, the Messiah. And people put their faith in his coming and their hope in the Messiah for deliverance. And that's why this candle is also called the hope candle. Because that promise gives us hope. Well, this group that Jesus had gathered on the mountainside that had followed him from different, even different provinces across the the river, uh, they had followed him to this place where he was teaching on the side of the mountain, and they sat down, and Jesus gave this rather long sermon. And, And throughout this sermon, he's teaching them all kinds of things, and, and as they are sitting there listening, they are putting their hope in him. They believe that he's the Messiah, that the one that they've been waiting for all this time, and they, they really have their hope in him. They're listening carefully, and, and he blew them away. He took all these teachings and traditions and sayings that were popular in his day, and he turned them on their head, and he showed them what God really thinks and how these things really should be applied. And they learned that if they followed him, and, and by following him, they were building a Christian character of holiness. And they were reaching the spiritual goals of life. You know, we're, we're very business-oriented, and so, you know, we, we have, okay, my goals in spiritual life, I'm going to list them. There's bloop, 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 we got those three goals. And here are the 14 steps I'm going to take to get those three goals. You know, we're very goal-oriented. You know, we're wired in a very business sense. But Jesus is teaching that if you follow his teachings, he will build that character. And he will bring you to holiness. And he will faithfully take you to the end of this life and into the next one. Amen? One day we are going to see the kingdom of heaven. In this sermon, Jesus talks about all kinds of things. Have you thought about the things we've talked about since August when we started this? I mean, we've talked about life and death. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about murder. We've talked about divorce. We've talked about love and discernment and justice and caring for the needy and fasting and being judgmental and a whole lot more all in this one section. And Jesus teaches us how to handle all of that stuff. What to do, what to do with it, and how to live for him. So now Jesus comes to the end of his sermon, and he finishes with an example from his own life. I mean, think about it. Where did Jesus grow up? He grew up in the home of a carpenter. And so He would have learned carpentry skills from a very early age. We know that, you know, that story where he's at the temple that he's talking and teaching with the, you know, the elders. By that time, he would have been about 12 years old, and he would know carpentry skills. And so we have an example where he says, "Here's an image. Here's an image. Let me give you an image." And when we look at that image, it kind of sounds like a house on the beach. You know? I mean, it really does. That's the first impression I get when I read this piece, is a house on the beach. How many would like a house on the beach? I, I don't know if Daria's is here this morning. I know she would trade all her cats for a house on the beach. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a lot of you are beach people. Or maybe it's a, a beautiful house in a valley. In the summertime, it's dry, beautiful place to live. But in the wintertime, when the rains come, there are floodwaters. In those floodwaters, they threaten that beautiful house. For sure, as a carpenter's son, likely apprentice carpenter, likely worked as a carpenter until he reached the age of accountability, the age of 30, as a carpenter, he would know how to build, where to build, and how and where not to build. He would know those things. And so he says as he starts this thing off, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and they beat against that house and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. How would you like to invest all your time and all your money and all, a lot of your hope in, in a retirement house? You build it on the beach, you build it on the shore, you build it in this, maybe in this valley where the floods sometimes come, and and you have this beautiful thing, and then some disaster comes at some point and just washes that house away. You know, after Hurricane Katrina, I got a chance to walk on the beach um, at, at Bayou La Batre with some people who hadn't been back to their property yet to see what happened after the hurricane. And, and it was heartbreaking walking with them as they saw their house for the first time that was completely gone. There was nothing left. In fact, that whole shoreline, there wasn't a single house left standing. And there was a debris field of lumber that was as big as this room, which was all the building materials from those houses, all washed up there. It was heartbreaking. If you're going to invest your time and your... Effort and your money and, and your hopes and dreams in a place, you're going to want it built on something solid, right? Something safe. Well, think of Jesus' teachings as the material for that house the lumber, the shingles, the cement blocks, the windows that give you light, the door that opens to God's house. And by Living all of Jesus' teachings, Jesus is saying that we are builders. We are like that wise builder. Uh, There's an old gospel song that says, We're working on a building which has its whole foundation on the Lord. I like that old song. Following Jesus, we are the wise builders. So if we're going to build, where do you start? you got to start at the bottom, right? you got to start at the foundation. And that's the first thing Jesus is talking about here. We build on the solid rock of Jesus. What's the bottom level? What holds the house up? Well, in, in our rhetorical house here, it's Jesus holding the house up, isn't it? He is the rock on which every spiritual thing is built. Now, you can't even start your building project until you lay down your foundation, So, my question for you now is: What's your foundation laid on? Is your foundation on the rock? Do you know Jesus? I'm not asking if you know about Jesus. I'm asking if you personally know the Rock. Not talking about Dwayne. Talking about Jesus. You know. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, all through this sermon, he's been talking about the kingdom of God. And so way back there, when in the first part of his ministry, he's talking to Nicodemus and he says, you know, you need to be born again, and Nicodemus didn't know what that was. But that's Jesus cleaning you. That's Jesus renewing you from the inside out. That's his spirit changing your spirit so that you can have a brand new start. That doesn't mean the consequences of our sin go away. You know, sometimes we have to live out some of those consequences. But the eternal consequences, eternity without God, separated in hell, when we come to Jesus, that part is gone. It's gone. Our sins are washed away, as if they never even happened. And one day we get to stand with Jesus in his kingdom and live with him forever. But you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to be foundationed on the rock. Put your trust in him. He's not going to let you down believe in him ask him to forgive your sin and you turn away from that go on a different path in life that's what it takes belief in jesus by faith and then you start building that house because you started with the right foundation you started with the rock And as you follow Jesus, that house gets built up. And in this life when rains come and the floods rise and the winds are howling and and everything's beating against that house, that house that Jesus built, it won't fall. And at judgment, when Jesus looks at us and decides what to do with us, the only thing he's going to say to you is, well done good job with the building. Now you can stop building. Come inside and rest. The building is done. You're here. The house is ready. But what happens when we ignore Jesus' teaching and we don't build on the rock? Well, Jesus says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Have you ever seen any of those old houses out at Malibu in California? You know, they're built right on top of the cliff right on the edge, and every once in a while, one of them gets undermined and slides into the sea. It's a little scary. I I don't know if you've read in the news just this last week, um, Anthony Hopkins, the actor, uh, he found himself in a dilemma. His house has now been undermined, and it sits almost at the very edge of the cliff. I mean, it's only a few feet to collapse in some of those spots there. It's a $5 million house, and it survived the big Woolsey fire that was there last year, that wildfire that went along the coast, and and it burned away all of the grass and all of the shrubs and all the things that support the sand, all the things that, that keep it in place, right? Well, it doesn't take much, if you look at that, to see that that house is built on sand. There's no rock there. And through this year, since the fire, as the waves have beat against that coast and and the winds, and they had some especially heavy rains at one point, and it washed away the soil, it eroded it to the point where it's ready. It could collapse at any moment. It wouldn't take much. And it doesn't matter how famous you are, and it doesn't matter how many awards you have, and it doesn't matter how much money you put into that house, it can still collapse at any moment. And it's a long way down. You know, some believers start out really well. They come to the rock. They pray to receive Jesus. They make that first foundational step. And they start that building and they get the foundation started, and then they stop. For some reason, some Christians just stop after they come to know Jesus. It's like, that's the whole thing. But that's only the beginning. That's just a start. Or maybe they start on the rock, but then they decide, you know, I like that guy's property over there. I'm going to relocate my house. I'm going to take it over there. And they put their house on a foundation other than Jesus, their spiritual life. How many Christians do you know who have undermined their Christian faith by failing to follow Jesus and his teachings? You know, the old brethren used to say, well, they made a good start. They made a good start, but it didn't take. You ever hear those expressions? They made a good start, but it didn't take. Do you know the word undermine? Do you know where it comes from? It's an old mining term, actually. Um, it means to dig underneath or to mine underneath something to the point where the foundation is so weak that it, it literally is sitting on almost nothing, and it can collapse. In my early 20s, I, I lived in a gold mining town. This is uh, Kirkland Lake. This is the Toburn uh, uh, mine, rather. It's the first thing you see as you come down. You start down the hill to go into the town, and this mine is sitting up on top of the hill. This one isn't active at the moment, but it was a real gold producer in its day. In this town, gold was discovered in the late 1800s, but by the 1920s, it was booming. And by 1934, they were producing 2 million tons of gold annually, every year. Two of the mines, the Lakeshore Mine and the Hargraves Mine, uh, they were the deepest operating mines in the world at 8,200 feet. And there was so much gold I mean, you've never seen so much gold. Let me show you how much gold there is. This is a geological survey that shows you the town of Kirkland Lake and what's underneath it. Down in the right-hand corner, that's a little picture of the CN Tower. It gives you scale as to how deep those mines go. It's unreal. That mine I just showed you the picture of, it's at the far right of your screen. It's the first one in the row of all those mines. And some of that's under the town. So when you mine for gold, you put a lift shaft down first, right? And then you run horizontal shafts out, which they call drifts. Now think about it. There's this much gold under a town and under its, you know, the little region just outside the town, this much gold. So, where do you dig for gold? Everywhere, right? Everywhere, because there's gold in them dire hills. And there are dozens of mines in that area and dozens of mine shafts that have been abandoned. And you know, when they dig those drifts, they're digging into quartz, and they're looking for veins of gold, and there were lots and lots of veins of gold, so they dug in far. And in the early days, they didn't pay hardly any attention as to where they were digging. Just outside, one of the first weeks I was in the town, uh, just outside the town, there's an area. and and there's been a collapse because some some mine shafts underneath collapsed and a piece of land fell in about a mile across. I mean, it it looks like a miniature canyon. (laughs) It's just unreal. That was from undermining the soil. In fact, I also heard that, that early in the days, there was a big rumble one day and a whole house just disappeared. Went into the hole. Just about every piece of land you could stake was staked. So, what happens when you dig a drift and it's underneath a place and you don't fill it back in or you don't reinforce it and you just abandon it. Or maybe you pump it full tailings. Tailings are what the muddy stuff that's left after your processed gold. So they pump that down in the mine because they got nowhere to put it. And it's not real stable. It's not rock. It's not supportive. And sometimes the surface collapses and you have a big sinkhole. Well... There's a story, a true story, about a man who was just a little north of town on a country road. It was a dirt road, and he was on his way, and and he came to a little stream that was crossing the road. And so he drove across this muddy stream, and he got himself stuck. I mean, he was really stuck. In fact, he decided he left the car there, and he walked back to town to get some help to get it towed out. Well, by the time he came back with a tow truck and some chains, the car was gone. It was completely missing. It had sunk into the mud entirely. So they got a really, really long pole, like 15 or 20 feet long, and they stuck it into the mud where that car had been sitting. And the only way they could feel that car was to push that rod all the way into the ground till they were almost at ground level with the end of the pole. And they could touch the roof of that car. Well, just a short time later, they couldn't touch it at all. It was gone. Well, the theory is that they had been digging, and the digging had undermined the shaft and and the surface somewhere, or, or near the surface, and it had collapsed. And likely the tailings, the muddy parts that I was talking about that are left over when you process gold, they likely had filled up that cavern underneath and so, what you had was a very, very deep quicksand. And I don't know, maybe that car is still sinking today. I have no idea. <laughs> Someday, if everything all dries out, some archaeologists might be excavating. You know, There's a car, it's 40 feet underground. <laughs> How to get here? Undermining public areas is banned now, you can't do that. But at Kirkland Lake, by 1960, there were 1,500 miles of tunnels. And there were 12 miles of vertical lift shafts. Think about the possibility there. And there were some days when there were vibrations and we all got nervous. (laughs) Because you never knew, right? Do you know, people have been undermining their Christian lives As long as there have been Christians. Maybe we're digging for gold, maybe literally. People undermine their faith by losing sight of Jesus and putting their eyes on wealth sometimes, or maybe on a bit of fame or infamy. Maybe in the pursuit of happiness, We, we try to fill that void, that hole in our hearts that was made for God. And not for anybody else. It was made for Jesus and God's creation. And we try to, we have that emptiness and we try to fill it with entertainment or sports or politics or, you know, whatever your pursuit is. But that pursuit is pretty empty when it doesn't have God in it, because that hole's not designed for anything else but Jesus. Is that any wonder that we feel empty? We stop doing what Jesus says to do, and we stop living the way that Jesus says to live, and we end up as a spiritual hot mess. Jesus says that if you fail to follow his sayings, his teachings, you're on the sand. You're not on the rock. That house you built without God is ready to tumble. That collapse is imminent, and that sand is quicksand. And it might be thousands of feet deep with all full of misery. In recent years, I have chosen to use the term Christ followers or Jesus followers more than the term Christian. And that's a conscious choice because many Christians don't seem to understand that being a Jesus follower means following Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, he builds the house, the expert carpenter, and it weathers the storms until we don't need the house anymore, and we cross into God's kingdom. And you know, it's a lifelong building project. We don't stop. We don't reach 60 and go, okay, I'm going to retire now. I'm retiring from the church. I'm retiring from spiritual gifts. I'm retiring from God's calling. I uh, did a sermon out at the camp meeting for uh, Seniors Day a few years back, and, and I called it Life in the Second Half. Because we reach that age, and we're only, you know, we might only be halfway there. We don't know how old we're going to get. So what are you doing with the second half? Life doesn't end at 50 or 60. We need to keep following Jesus. This passage is the end of Jesus' sermon, right? And you know, at the end of each sermon, there's a decision to be made. This is decision time. And Jesus, here in this passage, is calling his disciples to make a choice Are you going to be the wise man or the wise woman? and choose to hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice? Are you going to build on the rock? Or are you going to let the words of Jesus go in one ear and out the next and ignore applying it like the foolish builder? That's the choice. That's what Jesus is giving us to choose at the end of this sermon. If we don't choose to follow him, That sand that's undermined will wash away in the storm or the flood or by the waves and the house will collapse. And that might happen in this lifetime. Or it might happen when you get to the door and you get through the door and you end up standing on judgment day before that throne. And you say, Lord, Lord, we did healings in your name. Lord, didn't we do this for you? And Jesus says, Away from me, evildoers. I heard you yelling my name. I, I heard you singing in church on Sunday. But I never really knew you. I never really knew you. I never had your heart. I never had your heart. What you had wasn't a house on the beach. It was a sandcastle. And it's going with the next tide. Jesus says choose, make your choice. It's yours to make, but choose wisely. I want to show you three things that I I think are helpful, sort of a summary of of where we've been and where we're going. First of all, start with Jesus. Start with the rock in your life. Get with Jesus. He's the, the beginning. He's the foundation. If you haven't received Jesus, you can't build the house. You can't go anywhere else with that in spiritual life. The second thing is learn from Jesus. Get into the Word. See what Jesus is writing. Start with Jesus. Start with the Gospels and move out from there in the Bible as you're reading. And, and learn from Jesus and then follow Jesus. Right? Follow him. Start with Jesus. Learn from Jesus. And follow Jesus and you'll be in eternity with Jesus. Amen? Our works don't get us to heaven. Our works and the life that we live are the evidence of our faith. The evidence of our faith. The proof in the pudding. I'm going to leave you with that. It's the end of the series. This is the most important choice. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? Yes or no? That's up to you. Let's pray. Father God, Your truth lights my soul so that I might see right from wrong. I ask you to show me how to choose rightly. Lord, you are the lighthouse that guides me through the stormy sea and it protects me from the jagged rocks. Light my way. I pray that you'll give me strength and wisdom. I need it so that I can be the expert builder you called me to be. Help me to build with my life on the rock of Jesus. Let me follow your teachings and always walk in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions about how to receive Jesus, how to... Uh, sort of return your life to Jesus, if you've found you've taken back your life and you need to give your life back to Jesus again, please talk with us. Uh, We'll be around at the end of service. We can pray with you um, or just talk with you about any of those things at any time.